What's up, guys? Happy Easter. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that time uh, with your family, getting to be, uh, you know, hiding those eggs out. Uh, we wanna, I want to give a big shout-out to my head coach, Coach Alexander. He actually came by uh, to all the families. Uh, him and his wife came by like at 7 a.m. in the morning to all of our all of his assistant coaches' families that, that had young kids, and, and they actually laid out uh, with their gloves on and sanitized. They went out in the front yard, laid a bunch of eggs, uh, and then told us about it so the kids could come out uh, and enjoy it. So um, if you head coaches are, are trying to find things to do and, and you want to be able to you know kind of keep keep some of your coaches and wonder how you can make a family atmosphere, uh, it's unbelievable some of the things he did. So big shout-out to him. If you guys need anything from us over at Run the Power, go check us out, runthepower.com. You can find all of our videos. Uh, you can contact us. Uh, you can do all of that and listen to the podcast all at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Guardian Caps. Do you have linemen? Are their helmets getting scuffed up during inside run period? If so, there's a way to protect those shells and reduce the repetitive blows your guys are taking during the week. Guardian Caps reduces 20 to 33% of the impact really focusing on those big guys in the trenches, like we coach. Worn by Clemson, Texas, Oklahoma, Washington, Virginia, 150 other colleges, and over 1,500 high schools across the country, including mine at Broken Arrow and Coach Walls in Ankeny. They are currently running an early bird promo. It's an unbelievable uh, price for them right now. 40 caps for $2,000 uh, with 10 of them for free, plus 10 free. They get 10 free ones as well. Check them out in our free show uh, in our show notes or go to guardiansports.com/football. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull. Uh, and formations so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on, on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at justplaysolutions.com RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Eric Mateos. Coach Mateos is the offensive line coach at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. Welcome to Provo. Listen, as we talk with Coach Mateos about his fun journey up the ladder in D1 coaching, his offensive line coaching mentors, which he's got some really big-name mentors, and coaching power run game and pass protection with one of the largest offensive lines in the entire world. You can follow Coach Mateos on Twitter at Coach Mateos. Hope you guys enjoy. how we always start this is going to have you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and kind of give everyone else uh, obviously we know about you we we contacted you but kind of give everyone your your football journey um, as far as you know playing to, to coaching and and kind of how that brought you to where you are now it's a good thing I'm young so it won't take too long <laughs> uh yeah so I uh, I grew up in, in Overland Park I played at Schlamerson South played at Hutchinson Junior College in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, after that, then went on to play at Southwest Baptist University in uh, Bolivar, Missouri, Division II school there. Um, and uh, so when I got done playing, I coached for one year at SBU um, while I was finishing my undergraduate degree. And then coached one year. Uh, I went back to Hutchinson as a tight ends coach. Uh, assistant offensive line coach, uh, one of those um, part-time uh, paying gigs where you live in, you know, I lived in the dorm uh, with the players and, and uh, you know, drove the bus and all those, one of those fun junior college uh, gigs and did that for a year, had a lot of fun. And after that, I uh, went to University of Arkansas as a graduate assistant. I was able to 
come on and interview as a GA for uh, Sam Pittman. Um, the new staff at Arkansas just got in there. Brett Bielema just got in there. And uh, Coach Pittman was the O-line coach. Interview with him. And uh, GA there for three seasons. Had a lot of fun. And um, after that, once my three years, the GA was up and I graduated. Didn't have any uh, jobs that uh, really moved me or got me excited or even ones that were offered to me that I wanted. So I went and GA'd for another year at LSU uh, where I went initially Les Miles as a head coach and that was the season that um, he got let go and I was obviously there with Jeff Grimes as the he was the line coach and and then when the transition happened uh, coach Orgeron became the head coach during that during that year and uh, after that season, that off season, I interviewed with uh, uh, Everett Withers and got my first full-time coaching job with the O-line at Texas State. Did that for two seasons, two full years, and then when uh, when when Ryan Pugh left this job uh, at BYU, he went and took the OC job at Troy and uh, got an interview over here at BYU, and I just finished my first full year going into my second year, and here we are. That's awesome. It's kind of a – anyone I think that probably knows, you know, much at all about the offensive line world, uh, you, you've got to coach uh, with or for, however you want to put that, um, kind of some of the, the modern-day uh, – I don't want to say legends, but the modern-day guys that everyone looks to as far as offensive line coaches go. Yeah, I mean, I feel super blessed. I was really lucky. Uh, Coach Pittman and Coach Grimes are just simply two of the most productive guys in the business uh, from multiple angles uh, when it comes to recruiting and coaching. And uh, gosh, I was really lucky. I was really lucky. Um, I could have could have gone. I could have worked for a lot of guys, but those two guys have been so big for me as a as mentors and and friends and and I still get to work with Grimey and he's he's our OC here at BYU so we kind of got the band back together a year ago and it's been a lot of fun to be back with him too. Coach Grimes is hilarious I met him when he was at uh at Colorado and I was working at camp and and I'll never forget it I mean my my it'll be etched in my mind is Coach Grimes all the time and he was actually on like one of the old school like Palm Pilots so he had like you know the stylus and everything out so he'd be recruiting and <laughs> and tapping his, his palm pilot while, you know, we're out on the field. He's like, Hey, Walls, I, I gotta, I gotta recruit a couple of these guys. Do you, you take a couple of drills? And I'm like, yeah, I got it. And then he was cool enough to let us sit in on a, on a few meetings and he was actually installing power. So, I mean, it, it was pretty cool to, to be able to sit down with him, but you know, what, what are some of the things you've kind of taken away from, from coach Grimes? I, I just know he's, he's a really personable guy and a, and a fun dude to be around. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the I think the number one thing is just overall uh preparation for your job. And that was one thing that really stood out to me when I started working with them. Uh cuz you know, when that transition happened at LSU, it was kind of funny. When I got there, I was the O-line GA, and so I was the O-line GA until um after we lost to Auburn in 2016 and 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 then that point I became the tight ends coach. So for most of the time I was working with him with the offensive line and just the his attention to detail and and what he does and that's to me uh, a quality I've really latched on to and I still pay attention to and I still am learning things from him. But he's really really good. You know, obviously good X's and O's wise, but more so is he good with X's and O's is he's good with understanding what our guys can do and what the players can do and, and which, which schemes work best with this group, with, with a particular O-line and um, which matchups are best, where to play guys, all those things have been um, just really, really big for me to learn from him over a course of our relationship and, and uh, and yeah, he's fun. He's fun to hang out with. Good to hang out with on the in the in the room. And and uh, I'll never forget it. You know, one of my favorite weeks of football ever was 
we we got we were uh we got done we lost to florida in 2016 i think we had like four days to prep for a road thanksgiving night game at texas a&m and i remember just that sunday evening uh i remember we stayed at the office till like 3 a.m trying to get the whole run game game plan done for the entire week because it was such a short week so no shortage of good stories but really blessed to work work for him before and work with him now and it's really really joy what i'm kind of curious because obviously uh you want to scheme uh, as an offensive line coach to help your guys out as much as possible each game what goes into uh you know for you you come in on a sunday and i'm sure you've already put some work into each team but you come in on a sunday and and start putting that run game together how do you how do you initially start that process um, I think the, the the first thing that you have to do, at least for me, what I feel the most comfortable doing is just watching games. Um, you know, at BYU, we don't actually go in the office on Sundays, and, you know, that's, that's a different subject. But um, I found that watching an abundance of cut-ups and stuff doesn't really – has never helped me on a, on a Sunday. Uh, I just like to watch games. And – and see the style, you know, first thing I try to pick out is how does the D-line like to play the game? Um, how, is the, how are they being coached? Are, are, you know, are they penetrators? Are they readers? Are they kind of two steps and, and read after that or penetrate and read? And so there's a lot that goes in just from style-wise, like how are these guys playing the game? And And then kind of the next thing I do is I try to make notes on, on who who are the guys that I think are concerning um you know who are the game wreckers I mean I worked for Jim Chaney at Arkansas he used to always use that term game wreckers and I've really latched onto it over the years and it's true I try to find those and then when determining what we're going to do I think it's from experience and I think it's a mix of things from experience versus the different styles of defensive lines and linebackers and all those all all of those styles that you've played over over the course of your career. Uh, plus, you know, you mix that in with what your players do well, uh, who's 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 best at what, and and then you mix that in with um, what's what's already been working, what's already been efficient. You know, because I'm not one of those guys that uh, sees. Uh, play X work 10 times versus this team and think that I just have to run that play. I think there's a fine line there. And so I think keeping what we want to major in at the forefront of our decision-making, but then just finding the best ways to do that versus how the defense is, how the defensive personnel plays and what just the scheme is. So I think it's always a mixture. And I think uh, once I watch those games, then, I have a good feel for them, and I usually what what my philosophy is with Sundays being the day that we don't particular work is I'll grade the film, and I usually get up, go to church, and come back and watch some NFL, and and uh, about three o'clock I'll I'll grade our game from Saturday. At about five o'clock I'll eat dinner and then just sit down and watch the first halves from about four different games from for our next opponent, and then we come in. Uh, 6 a.m. Monday, get rolling on the cut-ups. So, yeah. With with grading out the game, um, talk me through maybe a little bit of, of, of how you go through and grade and then how you get that to your kids. I mean, is it a percentage grade? Is it um, you guys are looking at highlights, lowlights? Uh, what's kind of your process for that? I think it's always interesting uh, because, obviously, at, at any level, you want to get the most bang, you know, for your buck and – and get those kids obviously better with those. And, and so how, how do you go about grading and, and getting that to your kid? Yeah, you know, I, I'm just going to be the one to say it now is I've never been a huge, you know, multi-level grading. I remember, you know, I, I used to see guys that would have like four different grades. And I'm like, you know, if, I, if you do that for a game, I mean, you're talking, it's going to take you three hours, four hours to grade the film and you got technique. And I just, I just, I just can't do it because I've coached players. I mean, I coached uh, a guy at Arkansas named Sebastian Tritola, who was an all American, 
who was the SEC Jacobs blocking trophy winner. And Sebastian had some of the worst techniques that you could that you could put on film. I mean, you weren't using him for a lot of drill tape stuff, <laughs> but he was just a great player. And so I think I, I stopped putting weight and all those things. So I, right now at this point, it's kind of a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Or if there's a play where you do nothing, you don't get a free plus. That's kind of how it works for me. So, um, like, if you, you – let's say you're running a gap protection and just nobody ever came to your gap, well, I'm just not going to give you a free point for for just doing really nothing. It's not a, it's not a charity. So. Oh, man, those, those, are always, those are always my go-to as a player. boot passes i I was always loved boot passes i knew i was going to get a plus on that one well you can still get a plus but (laughs) if you don't ever actually do anything you're not getting the plus if you just run if you just turn and run and don't have to hit anybody i'm not giving you a plus so um so it's it's pretty much it's pretty cut and dry black and white thumbs up or thumbs down you know did you get your job done did you do what you're supposed to do and you know because I just, I've always thought, I just don't like the idea of giving, oh, you know, you, a guy's assignment grade is, let's say it's 70%, but then you hand him a technique grade that says 94%. Well, I don't really want him, most most young people are going to say, oh, man, I got a 94 on my technique. That's awesome. And they're going to forget about their 70% on their assignment. So it's kind of all encompassing and I give out plenty of pluses with bad technique and I give out uh, plenty of minuses with good technique and, and uh, knowing the assignment. So, but we, what we also do is we classify it. We, we divide it up run and pass. So we do do that. So the guys know, hey, here's my run grade. Here's my protection grade, you know, because it can also get skewed if you're, if you're a, if you're a line that always does five man gap protection, then you have a really good chance of having some solid protection grades. And then you have, you know, and let's say this and the same guy grades out 55% in the run game. Well, you don't, you're kind of skewing the statistics. So we make sure that they know their, their run game and the protection grade. And then obviously the stats that go along with it, we do knockdowns, uh, great effort plays, which I, I call those kind of above and beyond plays where a guy d- does a little bit extra, than um than you would expect from from a player on the play and those are always kind of fun to see as far as um the, the negatives obviously missed assignments um you know hits sacks um you know we have loafs on there but i haven't found a loaf on my tape in a couple of years so that almost never gets filled but yeah that's that's how we do it now with with uh with your with your knockdowns are are you as uh stringent on those as you are with with giving out your thumbs ups or are are you counting trippers? We again in college we always said trippers count. <laughs> uh trippers don't count. <laughs> oh no. To, Come on, man. You got to you got to you got to there's got to be some physicality to a knockdown. I mean, there's been there's been times where a guy just kind of like pushes someone in the back at the end of a play and the guy falls to his knee and there was that's a knockdown no it's not you gotta <laughs> you, you gotta there's gotta be some 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 force behind it and it's gotta look a little bit a little bit dirty um but the trip i mean here's the thing i was never all my knockdowns in college were cheap shots so uh I don't. I feel. I feel like I'm. I'm disobeying my own. My own ways. But I wasn't nearly as good as some of these guys. Coach, can you talk a little bit about too? I know uh, we coached against and played against BYU, and I was at Tulsa, uh, actually in the bowl game. And and you're dealing with, in a lot of cases, grown men. I mean, guys will go, you know, on their, you know, on their their mission trip, and they come back, and those guys are there, you know when they're 24, 25 years old in some cases, and a lot of them already have, you know, families. Is there something a little bit different that you have to do maybe with, with some of those guys as opposed to maybe the other places you've been and, and you're dealing maybe yeah. with more kids, knowing that's maybe just a little bit more mature athlete? Well, it's um, – I think the one lesson I, I've learned at BYU is that um, if a guy had – 
if a guy had a, a a flea, if you will, like he had a something not really favorable in his game, if he had that when he was 18 and he left on his mission, he's going to have it when he's 20 and he gets back. And those don't just disappear. And so, um, and, you know, another thing that you have to kind of put into consideration is the maturity is better when they get back. That is a fact. Mm-hmm. But that's emotional maturity and emotional intelligence. That's better. From a physical standpoint, these guys haven't lifted weights in two years. And that's a huge, huge process to get their bodies back into being able to play. And you don't know where your mission is. One of our guys went on a mission to Uganda and lost 70 pounds. And another one of our guys went on a mission to, you know, Nashville, Tennessee and gained gained 30 pounds. And so it can um it can go a number of different ways. I think the thing with families and a lot of our guys um do get married. I think I have now about 10 guys in the room at least that are that are married. And wow. um the one the one thing you have to just understand and what I tell them is you know if you're screwing around or doing something stupid or not doing your assignments in, in class or skipping class or if there's some kind of behavioral issue, I'm not calling your mom anymore. I'm calling your wife. And and that's a totally different dynamic. And and I appreciate we don't have a lot of those issues come up, but we try to keep um the wives as, as involved as we can. And from a uh, from a just group mentality you know we even this off season we instilled a rule that every week the guys had to do something together outside of the building on their own and they couldn't bring their wives and the reason for this is most of our guys once they get married and rather than after practice you're going going back to the dorm or the apartment and you're kicking it with the boys and and bonding there they're going home to their wives. And so some of that O-line bonding that we all know is just some of the most valuable time you could spend developing that chemistry. You know, as a coach, I have to manufacture that a little bit, but, you know, I have to kind of promote that. Like, Hey, let's do, so, you know, the boys will get, do a barbecue and, or they'll go out shooting guns and all those kinds of things. But we try to do that a little bit more this, this semester before we got cut off um the because it's just the natural bond that you build outside of the building it just doesn't happen that much when you have guys with families yeah that's that's something that uh, I I would have never thought about but it makes makes you know complete sense um that you you know they are going home to their wives they're not going hanging out with the guys necessarily afterwards so um with some of the missions and, and we don't need to get too much into it but is that something that you know when guys are scheduled to go on their missions or is it you've got a two-year starter and then all of a sudden he lets you know hey I'm going on a mission and now you've got to plug someone else in for the next year or two yeah well I say a majority of the a majority of of our missionaries will leave uh right after high school and so the majority of them do, and most of them know pretty early on what their plan is for their mission. Now, it used to be a rule. You had to be, I think, 19. Um, a long time ago, you had to be 19 to go on a mission. So at BYU, what would happen quite often is guys would play one year and then go on the mission because they weren't 19 yet. They changed that, they changed that, um, that age. So most guys now go. Uh, on their mission right out of high school but uh, at the same time um, we believe that the mission is between them and God and and if a guy wasn't planning on going on a mission and then all of a sudden he feels compelled to do so then I support it 100 percent but it's we uh, we've gotten pretty good at navigating navigating that and it's it's can be a challenging and it takes a lot of forethought and there will always be surprises but that's just that's just something that makes BYU unique and it's, it makes it a, a fun little wild card to deal with. It is, it is definitely unique. I'm sure it was a, a huge change for you with how the, uh, the home team fans uh, treated the opponent fans and, and team. 
uh, coming from some of the places that you've been over to BYU. That was probably the the craziest I've ever uh, it, thing I've ever dealt with is having all those people at that game, uh, but extremely nice to us. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we like to kill them with kindness, you know. We say, uh, <laughs> right. in, the, in, in the O line room, we like to say pancakes and handshakes. So. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to kick your butt, but we're going to help you up. And, and, uh, that's kind of, that's the BYU way. And that's what makes it really a cool atmosphere. Cause our fans are great. They get loud and, but they also, we don't have a lot of, um, obscenities that I've, that I've experienced at some other road games. Especially when <laughs> no, not at all. No. I got a little, uh, a little player's basket that had nice deodorant and a spray in it and all this really nice stuff and and i i said i'm not using this i threw it away because we were about to play byu and then on the plane ride home i was wishing i had it all the other guys are calling me stupid yeah well i tell you it's just uh the people are great here the people in the area are great and it's it, it's it was an adjustment for me just you know, because we, we'll get uh, we'll, some of our road games, we'll have just tremendous, tremendous support. BYU is such a, a national brand. And I'll, I mean, this this past season we played at Tennessee. If you if you pull up ESPN and you watch a play where we had our game winning, you know, to paint the picture, it was, I think, second overtime and Tennessee had kicked a field goal and we had it. And so we we kind of had we had a walk off touchdown run, where we with the O line kind of pushed the pile into the end zone for the win. And I swear, when you watch that clip, it sounds like you're at BYU. It sounds like it's a BYU home game. It's extremely loud. So it's it's so good to play road games and see our fans across the country, and that always makes it a little more interesting too. I know when you talk about from a recruiting standpoint to being there in Utah, and I've, I've been out there many times and, and actually, you know, done the, the all poly camp and, and seen some of the, the kids out there. You, you guys have just a, an area with natural, huge offensive linemen. And then not only that, you know, <laughs> with, with, with the Polynesian culture, you know, and there's a lot of big kids, I think they're in, in Utah, you know, and with the church Latter-day Saints, there, there's a, a really cool network, I think, of offense and defensive linemen. And it's become a, a huge tradition for, you know, not not only BYU, but I just think a, a lot of the schools that, you know, are kind of involved in that pipeline. Yeah, well, th- there's no question. I mean, my O-line is gigantic. I, I, I really can't put in the words. I, mean, I, I, I think if um, I think if someone actually looked at it, I bet we have the tallest O-line in the world. I mean, I, I really do. We have, I think we probably have five guys, six, seven or taller. And um, it might even be more than that, but yeah, this this uh, we've never had trouble finding big people to play football at BYU. Uh, most uh, most of our recruiting um, in on the O line is uh, is members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and I think right now I have three guys in the whole line that aren't, and so yeah, most of our guys do do come that are are from the church and and you're right it's a lot of big people there's a lot of big polynesians with big ankles and big wrists and <laughs> and then there'd be some big old scandinavian guys that then you know look like i mean we have uh tandon herring looks like an old an old viking he's like six seven three ten with blonde hair and blue eyes i'm like you you, you don't belong here you look like you're from a medieval time so we have, uh, we have we have a lot of good-looking guys. I'll be honest. I mean, and, and but that's also that's also a credit to our our recruiting is, you know, we have like I would say our our number one player right now is a kid named Brady Christensen who was a two-star out of out of high school, um, and he he went to a Bountiful high school and he was a two-star with I think one FCS offer. And uh, and they pulled the trigger on him uh, late in the process. And he's and when he was in high school, he was you know whatever he is six six two hundred and forty five pounds two hundred forty pounds, and he's three hundred now and was the you know top five pass blocker in all the country. And and you know so we have guys like that, and we have guys that 
played other positions. You know, we they've done a nice job here, but before I got here, of taking players that played other positions and moving them to O line. I think, and my two deep, I think I have uh, four guys that played something besides O line in high school. Is that something, Coach, then, where you're going to use that athleticism and use that size, you know, kind of to your advantage as far as, and obviously working for an OC like Grimey, who's going to be probably pretty predicated on the run game, where you guys are like, hey, we're going to start with inside zone, we're going to start with gas, uh, gap scheme and smash people, and then not only that, we're going to have tremendous length and we're going to be able to throw the ball as well, because I know BYU's been known for that over the course of several decades as well. Yeah, you know, we've 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 dabbled in everything and I think last season was kind of a um a, a good learning experience for for me and, and Grammy because you know, we started the season actually feeling like we were going to be a duo team. Uh we were going to be a big duo and and pin and pull team with some tosh cracks and and mix in some inside zone and that was that was going to be who we were. And, as the season wore on, we had some injuries and, you know, we lost a couple of guys that were kind of our thumper guards. And, um, and we kind of transitioned halfway through the year to be more of a wide zone team because we had to be, and we lost some of that, some of that pop on the inside. And we started saying, Hey, let's just do what our guys can do, which is our guys can run. I would say, I would say we have multiple guys that can go under five in the 40. And so we got some big guys that can run and we started majoring in wide zone. And before you know it, towards the end of the year, the last half of the year, we were really, really hurting people with wide zone. And so, you know, it started out like, Hey, we're going to go smash people in the face, but we've, it, it, it evolved to something else. And, you know, this whole line, it the, for this season, we'll see what it looks like. You know, we think we have a, a, a good combination, but we were huge last season, but we weren't very experienced. I mean, 75% of our snaps were played by freshmen and sophomores. So we, we have some big people that can run, but we didn't have a lot of strength. And so that was kind of the, the battle to fight as a coach. Well, these guys look like we should be able to send a douche block six yards back, but um, we some of our guys didn't have quite the strength that we needed to have, and just because they're still early in the process of development. So you guys kind of make that switch to to, to wide zone out of necessity, um, and it's it's a play that I think everyone always talks about and says uh, if it's going to be your play, you've got a major in it. And so you guys, I'm sure, have have been working on it all year, but then you decide that's kind of going to be your uh, I don't want to say go to but you're going to you're going to go towards that play a bunch uh what are some things you guys had to start doing in practice or start working on was there any change up uh with how you guys were working practice so you could be a better wide zone team or just practice a few more times uh how did you go about doing that yeah yeah well we said honestly and it really it was the Boise State game it was when we had a we had a couple weeks we had a actually I don't even think we had a bye week but we um, we had a couple we had a couple days to think about it and and we had we had lost a couple guys for the season we had a senior get an ACL so I was about to start a a right tackle that was a true freshman um, that had never played O line before this season he was a quarterback and a tight end and a D end all throughout high school. He's a big six nine, uh, two hundred ninety pound kid that we said, hey, let's. We think he's he's the most physically ready to go, and we'll throw him in there. And we put another freshman in there at left guard, and Boise was undefeated. And we're sitting here thinking, well, what are we gonna do? So, from a practice standpoint, from that point on, the rest of the year, we would devote at least twenty minutes of individual just to wide zone, and that really became. Um, our our number one emphasis in practice, and because we had to. So essentially, what happened was uh, I would I would I was the front side coach now, and Grammy was going to be the backside coach, and we would just devote uh, an ex a huge amount of time. Because like you said, wide zone you can't be good at it unless you work it. It's just you can't. It, a lot of people think you can just 
roll the ball out there and say, hey, you know, go reach him. And it, there's way more to it than that. And so we devoted at least 20 minutes every day. And most of our practice reps got devoted to that in the run game, mostly because we, we the way we looked at it was, hey, we got a lot of banked reps in some of these other schemes. We have some bank reps in inside zone. We have bank, we have tons of bank reps in pin and pull and the toss crack. And and so we said, when we're in practice, let's run wide zone. And that's kind of the direction we went. And, you know, it paid off for us. We got better. We got more efficient. And, and we were able to, to bounce back from kind of a, a pretty dismal first half of the year. Is is that wide zone? Did you guys run that at an offset shotgun as well? Uh, that's kind of the one thing that I always argue with 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 whoever almost that'll listen to me. Um, I don't have a great answer for it, but it just always seemed like uh, playing wise because we haven't ran it a bunch as a coach. But playing wise, it was so different. Like out of under center, out of pistol, you know, wide zone, and you're kind of expecting. Uh, if a guy slants underneath you really hard, him to not be able to make that play. But now all of a sudden your tailback's on the on an offset, and and now he can't get around. Now he has to cut, and then he's kind of cutting right into that that penetrating guy. Is that something that you guys uh, did? Did you do it out of offset? If so, uh, kind of how did you coach that up to your guys, or was there much difference, or um, was there anything you noticed difference doing it out of offset? Well, so I, there's a huge difference. I totally agree with you. It's a totally, it's totally different if you don't coach the back. I mean, I think the key, the key to having some success with it in the offset where you don't feel like you have to coach the line to, to fit it differently from offset versus pistol is the back's urgency to kind of get to that cut spot over and catch up. We kind of, the way me and Grimey phrase it is we kind of said, basically, when you're an offset, the running back has to catch up to the center. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got to chase that midline. And so if you, if you just put a spot, like let's say you're in pistol, and, and you, that spot, just put a spot down where you think the running back should make a vertical cut and where he, that decision should get made from the pistol, well, that decision should get made at the same time from offset. So that's kind of how we've looked at it is if, if you don't, if you don't coach the back, like, Hey, you have to, you have to threaten uh, the edge. You have to make the linebackers uh, move. Otherwise we have to coach the line differently. So what we did rather than have kind of two different ways to run wide zone is we really just focus on those backs. Hey, run to that spot and then make a decision because I think that's, that's kind of a way you can balance it out. And, but we, you know, we had some, we had some, we had some ones that weren't great runs, but, um, but that's okay. It's when you major in it, that's kind of what you get with wide zone. You're going to, you're going to have a couple that, that are like, Oh, we well, just got to live with it. And, or you got to live with the running backs read because you don't, you have to coach the back to read it properly, but you don't want to, have him so bogged down with the read that he's not running. And so there's a little bit of give and take, but that was, that was a huge um, emphasis for me. And it's been that way in the off season. We're just understanding the positional leverage that we have on the defender in, in between the running back. And how does that running back help our blocks? It's a huge coaching point. You know, there's no doubt. Is that – I know you, you talked about, you know, you would take front side, coach would take back side uh, of outside zone um, in practice, you know, or, or going through and, and watching during practice. Is that something that, that you do with a lot of your plays? Is that something that was just more of an outside zone thing? Is that something that you plan on kind of continuing to do? Because we've got another offensive line coach as well, and, and I think always trying to find, you know, what's the best way to use both of us in practice. Yeah, well, that that is when we've talked about that a lot. I mean, we feel like we have a really unique setup because there's not a lot of guys around the country that have essentially two offensive line coaches at their disposal. And with Grimey being a kind of a walk around, if you will, OC, um, we we do almost everything together. So, yeah, a lot of that is uh, front side, back side, a base in the run game, and protection is a little bit more. He's kind of watching. Uh, the full the full scheme of 
of the pass play because he is the he is the coordinator. So protection, I tend to take a little bit more uh, ownership in that as as just by myself. But yeah, we think that if we're going to have two guys that can coach the line, then let's have two guys that can coach the line. So yeah, front side, back side is 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 one of the things, um, one of the ways we do it. But um, just from a protection standpoint in practice doing drills, you know, um, I kind of, I kind of spearhead the practice planning, but, you know, I also say, Hey, is there anything, you know, if there's something that I really want to get done with the guards and the centers and protection, I say, Hey, Grimey, you have something that you want to get done with the tackles and protection. They say, yeah, absolutely. So it, if it, it's a little bit more fluid in protection because we'll do it where, I'll take the left side or I'll take centers and guards or I'll take the tackles. And so we kind of coach everything together on protection, but for the run game, it's more, mostly front side, back side. Coach, what are some things you're doing, you know, when you guys did kind of sw- switch to the, to the wide zone, you know, what are some things that you guys did then to kind of help the play as constraint plays? I mean, did you guys go, you know, RPO or do you guys go like kind of old school, you know, Shanahan and those guys where they were running just a, a ton of nakeds. Yeah, well, so we actually do something that's even a little bit different. We're a big um, jet sweep team, and we incorporate the jet sweep into, into every game plan. We run it every week, and so we hand it off plenty. So um, we'd love to hand it off, and so we'll also do a lot of our runs off of that. So. So to answer your question, um, we didn't we didn't do as much naked just because um, we didn't feel like we were getting a lot out of them. But what we what we have to handle the backside is we would do some RPOs with the wide plays, but really it was either we were reading the backside end or we had some kind of uh, jet sweep um, action off of that. So that was kind of how we handled the backside and how we. supplemented the play with other schemes and other looks all right coach so I I know you've been obviously LSU Arkansas and 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 done some your you know done some big college football and and so I'm still trying to figure it out maybe um and and I still I'm really doing it to try to help myself out can you give me a rundown on your big differences if you have any from duo to inside zone out of especially yeah. especially out of gun okay so that's yeah that's a great question um i think in my opinion now if you watch our tape you're not gonna you're not gonna see it because ours was mo- it, it was a very it was a very um a gap oriented track but i i do think that there is merit to if if you can coach the combos the same but you can alter the back's pass. And, and what a great example of this is if you do pull up some LSU film from this year, you'll see what I'm talking about. So LSU um, was one of the one of the teams that I noticed in my film study this offseason that had two different tracks and ball handling for inside zone and duo. And what they did was uh, the, the running back on inside zone was the, the quarterback would actually lose some ground and it was uh, an A-gap aiming point. But when, when they would run duo, the, the quarterback was actually taking the ball to the running back in duo. So my personal and, 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 and watching all that and, and having and, – in 2014, Arkansas, we ran more duo than anybody in, in the world, I, I think. But um, having – have majored in all of these plays, I think that's the key. I think if you want to run duo – from offset, I think the quarterback has to take the ball to the running back so he can still read the mic. Because if you if you're not reading the mic, then the play isn't duo. Does that make sense? Sure. Is that so? So if you do want to keep those double teams similar up front, is there is there a reason to? I mean, do they need to know the difference in inside zone and duo, or is it just the tailback needs to know the difference? Yeah, well, that's a that's a great point. Um, I think I think it's it's irrelevant if you teach them the same. So, for example, last season we taught all of our inside double teams the same. And so, let me kind of 
you know, summarize it for you. So an inside double team, whether it was inside zone or duo, here's how we taught it. If you're double teaming to a linebacker, if the linebacker is on your side of the D lineman that you're double teaming, then you're going to be a Gallup player. If the linebacker is on the opposite side of the D lineman that you're double teaming, you're going to be all you can eat, which is your, your screws on screws down the middle, driving through. And that's how we, that's how we taught our, our inside double teams. And so I think if you teach them that way, and then this kind of how, why we came up with it, then it really doesn't matter what they, what the play is. You say, Hey, on this play, we're using inside double teams and it encompasses um, everything that you're doing. So, for example, if you have a, a B on inside zone and a deuce on duo, even though it's inside zone left and duo right, it should look exactly the same in that theory. So, do the players need to know if there's a difference? You can make the argument that they don't. Okay, that's that's what I was going to say. I, that's where I get a little bit lost at times. Um, but, but I do like um, – you know, kind of that, that thought process of who's the Gallup guy and, and, and who's not by saying which side of, of the defensive lineman is the linebacker on. That makes it, I think, a little bit more concise rule, um, you know, whereas it's always been a weird thing to try to coach that um, with, with what do you have to do compared to where the linebacker is. But that's a pretty simple and easy rule with who's the Gallup guy and, and who's the full go guy. Yeah, I really liked it. And it just be it, and here's why. So let's just say in, in theory, you're you're running duo right, and you have a three technique, and and uh, you have a line. Your your mic that you're deucing to is in a fifty alignment. Okay, he's on your outside shoulder as a tackle. Well, there you obviously want to gallop because you want to have your eyes on your linebacker. He's on your side of the three technique, and if you just go bury your head on the three, then it, then we're going to have problems. And on the flip side of it, let's say you're running the same play, but now the mic slid into the a gap and he's inside the three technique. Well, if you gallop, if you are galloping that and then the mic plugs, well, your transition from a gallop to a down block is going to be iffy nine out of 10 times. And so that's why we say, Hey, if that mic's, on the other side of that three technique and he's sitting in the a gap then don't gallop go go put your screws on his screws and just and wash it and see what happens and so that's kind of how we that's kind of how we developed that rule in the off season and i thought it was really good it's the first time i've ever done it that way and i was a big fan of the results i thought it it made understand and and on the flip side of it if it's inside zone and you teach a a, a backside b block that way it's the same thing. I mean, if you're if the linebacker that you're B into is all the way backside in the backside uh, C gap, well, then you don't want to bury your head in there, and then he just is able to pull the trigger on you on a backside cut. Right. You want to keep driving on him. So um, we kind of we taught him we taught all those, and so we ran both inside zone and duo. And the reason for running both was for the read game and for the for the wide receiver blocking. And for and for RPOs and things of that nature, that was kind of the reason we carried to. But um, in a sense, you could teach the lineman, I think, the same technique regardless. Yeah, I, I've had a, a couple of conversations with about it too, and it's the same thing. As, and and honestly, when I was teaching the the running backs, I've always had him read when we're running, you know, the the downhill a gap inside zone, whatever you want to call it. You know, I've I've always had him reading that backside linebacker anyway kind of seeing if he wants to rock back over the top or he wants to split or he wants to fast flow a lot of times that was going to tell him his cut anyway knowing we knew what we we're doing up front so I've always kind of been confused so that that honestly did help uh, clear some of those things up coach um when you talk about pass protection I know you guys have said you know you do a lot more of the pass protection how do you kind of come up with your pass protection plan too it's the same kind of deal you know you're going to slide to the game wreckers or have a chip or some sort, of, some sort of plan for those guys? How do you kind of develop that plan going into the week? And then when do you uh, install that plan? Is that a day one install or is that something you kind of wait maybe for like, you know, third down, third day, down. something like yeah. that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, I mean, I think it's a lot of this. What we have kind of built into our system 
is like just for example, our six man protection, we have about five different ways to block just about everything. And um and a lot of that is based on personnel and blitz patterns. And so, you know, kind of what I look I look at especially once you get into the world of um odd teams or teams that use odd and have a spinner, a, a big pass rusher moving around. Um, I think it's important to understand um, who the, who those game wreckers are. I've had it where I've had games where we've only slid to the game wrecker. I mean, I remember we did that um, with, uh, I think it was Jadavion Clowney in 2013. He'd, he'd where, be a good one to do that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we said, hey, we're going to slide to him every time. But um, I've also had times where it was like, hey, let's always slide to the field because we know this team is a 60% America's fire zone team or, or, um, you know, an odd, an odd, let's only claim the fourth rusher as a big, if he's on the line, if he's not on the line, he's not coming. So there's so many things that go into it. And those are the things I try to study is, Hey, what's, what's the easiest way to um, get everything handled it, as all line coaches are, we're all perfectionists. And I'm really blessed because I have a center who I think is probably the smartest player I've ever coached. And he's one of those guys where we'll have kind of just one-on-one meetings um, during lunch, during the game week, where I'll pull I'll pull 10 clips I want to watch with him. I call them, they're kind of the one-hitter clips. And I want him because when I'm in my meeting, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show the guys every one hitter from the whole season, especially when you get late in the year. But what I always do is show the center and the center always knows they exist. And, you know, we had a couple of times this year where a one hitter was about to, was about to get us and uh, our center got it right. So um, as far as the plan goes, I start that with the normal down distance plan, but really I don't like to make any wholesale um, in concrete rules until Wednesday. So what I'll do a lot of times is make the whole protection plan and finalize it on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, and then we'll uh, we pass out our protection manuals. We'll, we pass that those out on Wednesdays, and that's that's after you've watched not only all the normal down and distance, but now you've watched all the all the third downs, and I've also already watched all the red zone pressures and the two minute pressure. So that's really when we finalize and put stuff in concrete. We'll dabble with some rules on Tuesday. Like if I just want to see how a couple rules look, I'll say, I'll tell my center, Hey, do this versus that. And I'll see how it looks. And then I'll say, Hey, now try this versus that. And so we'll play with a little bit, but everything gets, gets put in cement on Wednesday. How much stuff are you giving out to? And and, and I'm sounds like the center is kind of his, his own deal. And, and that makes it, uh, you know, that's kind of obviously the the coach's dream, I think, probably having a guy that is that smart out there that you can have individual meetings and then everyone else trusts him to get, you know, kind of kind of be the coach out there. But with everyone as a group, how much stuff are you giving out every week as far as, um, you know, scouting reports and, and different packets that you give out and, and different things like that? I, I'm sure you've been around – and you're a little bit, you know, younger compared to some of the college coaches out there. Um, and you've been around some really great college football players and and maybe seeing how much or how little, you know, a certain percentage of how much they'll, they'll look at some of that stuff. What's a, a good range do you think that those kids look at um, before getting bogged down? Yeah, so, well, I, I just know from experience, too, like as a player, as a player, if you gave me – too much I don't even know what I'm doing at that point and so so what what I well, we've kind of created and I say we coach Pew Ryan Pew did this before I did it and I just copied it from him is we give out a game what we call a game week sheet and the game week sheet they get that on Monday and um, what that has is it has different sections front and back for different days of the week. And so and it kind of guides them through what they should be watching on their own. And 
and they fill it out as they watch different cut-ups and different things we make for them. So they give a game week sheet they get on Monday that they fill out throughout the week. And that's kind of their, their self-serving study guide for the game. Um, when it comes to scouting report, we do a, 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 pretty, um, a pretty good write-up on the personnel, the players that we're playing, and we give a lot of overviews. So is, is, is my freshman tackle who's still trying to figure out how to get from his English class to his sociology class the fastest route? If I hand him <laughs> a scouting report on Monday that has, well, you know, in Trey on, on second and long, they're going to give us some third down packages 18% of the time. I mean, if I'm handing him that, he's like, okay, well, I don't even know where, where I parked my car. So, um, so we try to give a lot of overviews on Monday and some good depth, um, depth charts and some individual player write-ups as far as the personnel goes. And then um, on, on Tuesday, uh, I give them a run game manual. So what I do is I draw up all of our run game versus all of the defenses we expect to see, and I draw that up. So some, some weeks it's four pages of run game manual. Some weeks it's ten pages of run game manual. So they get that on Tuesday. Uh, we go through some normal down-distance cut-ups where they can fill out the notes. I kind of give them the statistics that I think are important. You know, I, I, kind, of, I kind of baby feed, if you will, the things that I think are that are important for everybody to know. And then on Wednesday, they get a protection manual. And like I, like I mentioned already, so that has the protection plan finalized. So those are two study guides that they get. And then what we also give them on Wednesday is a practice test. And a practice test essentially is the Friday test that I give. It, it's kind of a, a preview of that and gets them – just practicing on drawing the plays versus the schemes that we're facing. Uh, Thursday, the only thing that they could get is a possible goal line short yardage uh, write-up or drawings, goal line short yardage plan, if you will. So if we feel like we're going to get a couple of different unique defenses of short yardage goal line, I'll give them additional manuals that I draw. I do all the drawings on so everybody knows how we're blocking them. And then, and then Friday's the test, and and we give them we give them uh, I, uh, the test on Friday, and that includes um, most of the everything that they that's on that test should be something that they have in their notes, or it's in the manuals, or it's in the game week guide, or I forgot to mention we also make pass rush cutups for them to watch. So I have a great GA who who goes in and makes pass rush cutups of every player's best pass rush moves. And that's part of the test as well. So is it a little bit much at times? It feels like it sometimes, but I feel like we have a pretty good grasp on just kind of the right amount of, of jargon to throw in their face. Cause I think too much of it is just, it becomes just, it becomes confetti on the floor at some point. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, do you ever get nervous on Fridays giving out that test or, or getting that test back to read it? And I'm sure you got some smart kids. I just remember in college, uh, we did not have such smart kids. And uh, you could just see the, the coaches pacing around um, or, or, you know, whispering the, the guy the answer so that it makes them feel better. You know, I don't. I, it does not stress me out. The guys that I expect to do well usually do well. The guys that I have concerns about usually either surprise me or or by doing a lot better than I thought, or um, I just know what I need to go over on Friday night and Saturday. To me, that's my biggest um, that's the biggest driving force behind doing a test for me personally is is what do I what are some things that I need to make sure we square away before the ball kicks off because one thing I took away from Everett Withers who was our head coach at Texas State and, and I really appreciate this mindset is that the preparation doesn't stop until the foot hits the ball and so I'm not one of those guys that like goes to bed Friday and it's like okay the hay's in the barn 
if we have a night game at Saturday 8 p.m., the players hate it because I'll grab them like three different times during the day. Say, hey, let's let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, because that's what that test gives me. It tells me what we need to do, go over one more time before we kick off. I like that too. You're you're talking about the the meeting before, you know, whether it's Saturday or Friday night. That was always my favorite one because as a GA assistant online guy, you got to make that last cut up. And and I always like picking the ones, and I'd always pick some ones from practice too, where, where you know they brought a crazy exotic, and we picked it up. So kind of giving those guys that confidence, and then showing them clips of, you know, them bringing their their favorite pressures, but the other team hurting them. So our guys could be like, yeah, these guys these guys aren't that good. You know, we can pick this up, we can get this, rather than you know, showing a Jadeveon Clowney highlight film, you know, smoking our our quarterback. So that was. <laughs> Always oh, kind of funny, I thought, you know, to, to give those guys maybe a little bit extra confidence, like you said on, on Saturday, but also giving you your notes. Here's the feedback we need to be able to, to give them so, so we have kind of covered all of our bases. Yeah, I think, it, I think it's – I mean, I'm a huge confidence – I mean, I believe in the power of confidence and, and probably more than I believe in the power of anything else in coaching. And I, I get a lot of that from Sam Pittman. And – and if people want to know what the recipe for Coach Pittman's success, it's great. Get Go recruit great players, but more so than once you get them, make them feel like they're Superman, every single one of them. And he does a great job of that. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do with my guys. And so there are, there are, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there isn't a Saturday where I'm a little bit peeved and, and somebody gets a kick in the rear because I'll do it if somebody does something egregious. But um, I'm also, you know, if if I get a Friday night test back and I'm, and I think a guy, I mean, I, this past season, there's a couple times where we made we changed some personnel decisions on Friday night just based off of the feedback from the test. And at the end of the day, that's that's the guys, um, that's the opportunity to show that they're ready. So. It's a huge deal, I think, and some people don't take the test as serious. And I think I'm somewhere in between. You know, I don't, I don't put, uh, I don't put hard long division on there, but I try to mix in some hard ones, some, some really advanced questions that I know only about five guys are going to get right, and I try to mix in some, some softballs. So, yep, all those are in there. Well, coach, kind of running up on an hour now, uh, but but the last thing I always like to ask guys is is when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they would be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Hmm, that's a great question. I think um, I think just the 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 unit appearing to number one work together. You know, if when I'm watching. When I'm watching somebody's tape, and like I've said, I coach a great player that had some of the worst technique you've ever seen, but he was a great player. And so I don't uh, – I'm not a huge, like, oh, man, this technique is so good. This is the most amazing line or this technique's bad. But I think just the, the chemistry you see on the tape, you know, you just see guys that are straining, straining and playing playing the game the right way. You know, if if I'm watching your tape and and your O line doesn't pick up the running back, then then that's concerning to me. You know, I'll just that's just one of the things I believe in. Like, if I'm watching tape and and even on Sundays, if I'm watching film um, of NFL teams or whatever, if uh, if O linemen aren't hustling downfield to pick up their running back or pick up the wide receiver when they're close enough or pick up the quarterback or giving each other daps and patting each other on the rear and, and doing all that, then to me, you have a chemistry problem. And I think, I think that's a huge responsibility as a coach to get those guys playing like that. And to me, I think that's, that's one of my – when I'm watching somebody's line and their guys are out there doing that and straining and then having fun doing it, I'm like, yeah, that's, that guy can coach ball. But if, uh, if I'm watching a film and – Everybody has this 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 perfect, beautiful technique, but you know, are, are catching shotgun blasts to the chest and not helping the running back up. <laughs> and then to me, it's like, okay, that's great. Your technique is unbelievable, but you guys are you guys are softer than Downey, and and they don't care about their teammates. So 
I, that's kind of how I see it when I watch a game because I've been around it all, and 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 to me, those are the ones that make the difference, are the ones that just kind of spit up blood and give each other a dap and go pick up the sprint to pick up the running back. That's the kind of stuff I love to see on film. Coach, man, it's it's been a blast. I got I got three big things out of it: confidence, chemistry, and shotgun blast to the chest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but, okay. Well, that comes from. I say it all the time because, you know, you see that on tape where, like, oh, what a beautiful step. Oh, man, his, his pad level is good. But if the guy is soft and just goes catches some yeah. some sweet yeah. chin music from a linebacker, you're like, oh, okay, well, what was that for? What was all that cool-looking technique for? So I, I'm a definite believer that technique is uh, absolutely important, but if I had to pick one of the two, I'll take culture and, and grittiness over anything. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at runthepower. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.